Is the vintage bubble about to burst? Is the thinking that vintage cards are safe actually fool's gold? We'll debate next on Cards on the Table. Hello, sports card investors, and welcome to another episode of Cards on the Table. Boy, do we have some hot topics today. We're going to dive right in. Teapot, welcome back to the show as always. It's a pleasure to have you. Likewise. Thanks, sir. Absolutely. And Ben filling in for Doug this week. It's good to have you on the set again, sir. Big upgrade as always. I mean, it can sometimes be an upgrade. We are happy to have, we're happy to have Ben here. We're happy to have Kentucky basketball no longer part of March Madness as well. Something we can all agree on. I think Doug is home sad and we feel for him, but we need to go on with the show and go on with the show we will because this first topic is a good one. So this was inspired. We're talking about vintage and we're talking about a possible bubble. And this was inspired by uh, Brent Weyer, Deep Value Investor One on Instagram. He went on the Lucas Tigers and Bronze podcast, Good, good podcast, by the way, if you haven't checked it out. He went on their podcast and he gave a theory that low-grade vintage specifically is a bubble and it is a bubble that might pop. And he gave some really interesting examples. He pointed out very specifically a Willie Mays card that is up in value tremendously since before the pandemic, but it's a low-grade Willie Mays card and there may not be a lot of reason to substantiate the prices that it, that it is at today. He also pointed out that it seems like so much of the sports card hobby has shifted to focus on vintage and everyone's posting photos of vintage. And could this be a vintage bubble just like ultra modern was perhaps a few years ago? Teapot, we're starting with you. What do you think about this? Well, I give credit to uh, Lucas Tigers and Bronze for bringing on hot takes. We had, uh, you know, other other topics in the past from them. Like you said, great podcast. In this case, there's some that I disagree with, with what he said and some of what I disagree with. I think it's funny. Some you agree and some you so disagree. Some I agree and some I don't agree. I think it's funny that he opted to pick on Willie Mays, 1952 tops card. Willie Mays is considered by most to be the mm-hmm. second greatest baseball player of all time. Why would his cards go to the moon? Because it's Willie Mays. Who cares? If it's a PSA 1, we know the mantles have gone up. We know Willie Mays has gone up. We know Babe Ruth's gone up. You're talking about a goat. So all the goats have gone up in price, many multiples over where they were. Look at Jordan's PSA 10 1986, which is not vintage, really. It's kind of junk wax. That's gone up significantly. So if I look at Willie Mays, some of his data was actually a little bit wrong, and I'm not trying to split hairs. He said the pop count was around 4,000. It's actually 2,800 on this card. He said the PSA 4 was like 1400. I've got the data going back to the beginning of 2020 here. And this card was selling at around $2,000. And most recently it actually sold for 10,000, not $12,000. You're talking about a 5X multiplier. That makes perfect sense on a card like this. For the second best player of all time, this is the PSA 4, for a card that's only pop 2800 of one of the most iconic sets of all time, if not the most iconic set of all time in 1952 tops, why wouldn't this card have gone up nuclear? Now, if I shift gears, and I look at a card like this Bob Roberto Clemente card from 1959, which is not his rookie card, a PSA 3. This card's actually gone up 184% since 2019. That actually makes sense to me too. Why? Because 
Roberto Clemente doesn't have a ton of cards. I've done all the data dive episodes and said, look, go back to 2019 rookies, and Zion has 2019 different rookie cards. So he made the comparison of Mays to Zion. I think that's still a poor comparison. Now, where I would have concern, I'm jumping over here. Al Kaline, he's like top 75 of all time type player, right? I think this makes sense. 100% increase on his rookie card, PSA 4, since then for an iconic top 100 player card. I get concerned about players like Tommy Lasorda, Ron Santo, guys who are not top players of all time. They were good. They're not the top players of all time. That their rookie cards, and especially their non-rookie cards, eventually will fade. There's only so much interest that people can have over time. They're going to want the GOAT cards. They're going to want the key rookie cards. All this other stuff, I think, could go down. I think he should have picked on Ron Santo, not Willie Mays. Okay. And Lasorda might have a little bit of a bump because, of course, his history as a manager. Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and his passing, but uh, okay. All right, so Ron Santo is the guy he should Sorry, have picked Ron on. Santo. Sorry, Ron Santo, wherever you are out there. Agree, disagree, where are you at on this, Ben? I agree pretty much like completely with, with Teapot. I think this is a good example of rarity versus scarcity, mm-hmm. and it's artificial scarcity where we're just attaching a grade to something and then calling it rare. Of course, the overall populations of these cards are a lot different compared to ultra-modern, but it's a little disingenuous to say that some of these cards from like the 70s or 80s or you know 60s, 70s have extremely low overall print count, like uh, print runs. That's just not necessarily true in some of these cases. And like Teapot pointed out, just because you have a quote-unquote vintage card doesn't mean it needs to be graded. We, we are seeing some guys send out just like any Mickey Mantle card, hoping that it's going to come back. And even if it comes back a three or four or five or something, that doesn't actually make it necessarily a good card. And Mickey Mantle isn't like the perfect example of it, but we have to look at, is something rare because there's a very low population, or is it rare because you attach an additional modifier of a grade to it? And then I think that really impacts the price. That's exactly what I'm worried about. These ultra high-end stuff, the Willie Mays stuff, a lot of the high-end Mickey Mantle stuff, those, like Teapot said, you know, top 10, 20, 30 guys. I'm not too worried about that, but Tommy Lasorda, do we really need to be grading a lot of his stuff? I'm not sure. I'm not so sure. Yeah, no, these are fair points, and we're out of time, but I want to add two last points real quick before we move on. First of all, uh, one interesting note that has to be taken into the thought process here is how often these cards actually sell mm-hmm. on the secondary market. A Willie Mays that there's a population, what do you say, 2,800 yeah, of that card? But those cards still, even with that big of a population, they're still not selling that often. Compare that to a card from a few years ago that has a population of 2,800. That card's probably selling every couple of days online, where that Willie Mays is going to be selling a lot less frequently than that because so many of those 2,800 are locked away in people's collections. So supply and demand does dictate here. And even though the perceived supply is a large number with that population count, the actual real supply that's out there on the marketplace at any given time is actually relatively thin for a lot of these older cards. And that's part of the reason why demand can overwhelm supply and cause this to happen. So it's, it's a little bit of a different dynamic and I'm therefore less worried about the bubble. But I do get the point and I do appreciate the fact that Brent and the Lucas, Lucas Tigers and Bronze brought this topic to the forefront. I think it is an important discussion. Too many people in the sports card world play follow the leader and follow the leader. The hot trend on Instagram has been vintage. So I think from that standpoint, you do have to be a little bit weary 
of that, of a lot of people just jumping in because it's the hot thing and, and maybe not always for the right reasons. Guys, Pristine Auction has several big auctions ending this week. They've got a golden ticket auction tonight. They've got other big auctions ending on Sunday. Teapot, what, what do you have your eyes on this week? Got a 2000, not a rookie card, 2000 SP Authentic, PSA Authenticated Auto of Dirk Nowitzki. Can't Ooh. go wrong with Dirk. Nice. How about you, Ben? Uh, I brought a helmet last time. This time, I'm doubling down. Trevor Lawrence, auto helmet, inscribed, number one pick. Come on. Why buy a card when you can get the whole helmet, Jeff? I mean, speaking of inscriptions, though, they've got an unbelievably cool Joe Burrow uh, a patch auto card with the 2020 uh, number one pick inscription. Love those inscription cards. Check them all out at pristineauction.com. And if you use promo code SCI when you register, you get $10 off your first order. Again, pristineauction.com, promo, promo code SCI. Okay, guys, let's get to our second topic today because it is also a good one. This one involves the opposite end of the spectrum. This involves your prospects, your brand new players, and baseball specifically. And this comes from Teapot's Data Dive episode last weekend on the Market Movers YouTube channel. You were suggesting, well, let's talk about it. You were talking about speculating when the best time to sell your prospect cards is. We're getting here close to the very start of the Major League Baseball season. Should I be selling all of my prospects now? What say you? The best time, spoiler, is to sell right before the call-up. So there's a similar you know, psychology here. It's sell at the peak of the hype period, right? For active players, that's probably right now. That's at the beginning of the season. Now, there's certain players I'm holding because I really think they're going to have big seasons. Other guys, now is probably going to be one of the high points, if not the high point between now and the playoffs. Uh, with prospects, it's when they're going to get their debut. That's the peak of the hype cycle. Everybody's been waiting two years, three years, sometimes more than that when their Bowman draft products came out, Bowman Chrome, and now is that moment that they've waited for patiently. And you see it especially in the sales dollars, which is obviously the combination of the price point going up and the transaction volume. You just see this flood of cards hit the market. There's a bunch of people who are excited to get rid of them. There's a bunch of other people who are excited to buy them, only to see those prices come down in almost every instance. The one exception was um, Luis Robert, Lubob. He had a great first like six weeks of his career when he finally got the call up. His prices stayed flat. They didn't actually go up any more than that. So it was even more proof. It was like, look, hedge your bets and just sell because they literally stayed flat for like that six week period. They didn't go up anymore. And then they progressively came down. So that's the, that's the kind of spoiler punchline. Yeah, I remember when Wander Franco was uh, getting called up was it two seasons ago? Yeah. Um, there was so much hype building up to that call up and you saw prices going out. Could happen this season with maybe maybe a guy like Jason Dominguez. Uh, he's been Absolutely. talked about you know, a lot of Volpe. The Yankees have a couple of these guys. And of course there's other guys smattered throughout Major League Baseball who could either be on opening day rosters in some cases or, or more likely than not will get called up at some point during the season. What's your take on when you sell these? So. I like to look at it as how many variables are involved with guys like Anthony Volpe, Jordan Walker. We're getting to the point where we're asking ourselves, are they actually going to make the opening day roster? And that's the big question. Do they make the, do they make the, the MLB team at all? Now, once they get there, I think the hype dies down. And then you add an additional variable or are they playing well enough to warrant that? I don't even want to get involved with that at all. I want to sell even if it's probably for, let's say that they make the big league roster and start playing well, I would, I would be more than happy to take, you know, getting 100% return on, on my investment versus like 140% 
but eliminating that additional variable that provides risk. Yep. And then even those guys, you can go a level deeper of maybe they make the opening day roster. How much are they actually going to play? The St. Louis Cardinals have a crowded outfield. Where are we going to get legitimate at-bats for Jordan Walker, Anthony Volpe, same thing. Where is he going to find places to play every day in the, in the infield for the Yankees? That is a big, big factor. It's not just do they make the roster at all. Do they actually play? Can they sustain a high level of play? I don't even want to get involved with that variable. That's very scary to me. I would rather take the guaranteed return on investment, get out, and then put my money into something else. Yeah, if you're trying to flip, I totally agree with you guys. Absolutely yeah. the right call. Obviously, if you're long-term investing, you really believe that this prospect is going to go on and have a Hall of Fame career, maybe a different strategy there. But for flipping, sell the hype, and the hype is right as they're being called up, right, mm -hmm. right before they're going to get called up. All right, we will be right back with two more great topics after this. Guys, go grab the absolutely free sports card investor app in the App Store on your phone if you haven't already. It's the ultimate way to shop for cards. Go check it out and you'll see what I mean. Sports card investor in the App Store. Okay, let's get to our next topic. This is a little bit of interesting news that was kind of inadvertently broken. One of our, our team members, actually Doug here at Sports Card Investor, brought this to our attention. PSA is now tracking the grades they give to particular cards based on that card's serial number. So if you are to crack and resubmit a card to PSA in the future with the same serial number and that card had previously been graded, it will get flagged by PSA and PSA will say, we already graded this card and therefore we're going to assign that prior grade that we gave this card to the card again. This should probably cut down on the attempts for cracking and resubmitting. This is not something they always did, they haven't, I don't think they've made any type of big news release about this. So we don't know exactly when they started doing it or how recently the cards that it would apply to how old those cards are. But we, we did hear an incident of this happening to one of PSA's customers. So it brings up an interesting conversation here. What does this mean, Ben? Is this, is this good or bad? What does this all mean to the average collector out there? I think collectively, most of us should be thrilled that this is going on. I think we all can agree that we want more transparency when it comes to grading. I think the idea that people are gonna submit to PSA, get a nine, crack it, resubmit it, or something like those, like that, um, to try to hope that they get a different grader and things, and things of that nature. I think we wanna try to eliminate that as much as possible. I love that they're doing this. I, I get, like you said, it's, it's hard to tell how new this is, and I just really can't wait for them to introduce more of like the fingerprinting type technology uh, when they brought in Kevin Linane with Ginnamint. Um, that was something that a lot of us were really looking forward to. I think it's really gonna legitimize grading within the industry. It's, it's such a big part of the hobby and it's unbelievably important that we're as transparent as possible with things like this. Um, and this is the first step. It's not quite fingerprinting cards, but it's an easy step and um, I think it'll add a little bit of transparency to pop reports as well. You, you might not look at those and, and give them as much legitimacy as you, as you once did because we have to think about what percentage of those pop counts are just resubs, right? Um, and that's a very important thing. When, when pop counts are so important in today's hobby, 
we need to be genuine about what that number actually is. I generally agree with Ben until I submit a really nice serial numbered card to PSA <laughs> and it comes back at PSA 8, even though it looks perfect to me. And then I'm like, I'm just going to crack this and resubmit this boy because another yeah. grader is clearly going to give this a 9 or a 10, which does happen to me sometimes. Uh, but I guess that's not going to work anymore. What is your interpretation of this teapot? Yeah, it is an interesting twist. I know there's some people who are pretty upset with this news uh, who spend a lot of time doing cracking and resubmitting, especially on bigger cards where it pays off, where it can pay off. I think it's smart. I think it's what I'd do if I were these grading companies. You, you have to do it. Uh, you're protecting your own brand reputation. But look, it is undeniable. Grading is wildly inconsistent. It is... It, I love Nat Turner. I like PSA. I like all the grading companies. He said a lot of times, no, you're not going to get these big grades. You just are. I've talked to so many people who have sent the same cards and gone from an 8 to a 10 or a 9 down to an 8. You know, you see these swings back and forth. As long as cards are being graded by humans, there's going to be this insane subjectivity. So the fact that you are now going to be stuck, like you said, with that one grader who was having a bad day or who just was more strict on a certain card, you're not going to be able to do it anymore. I think you'll still see the crack and cross between the companies. I'm actually doing a data dive episode this Saturday on that topic. What was interesting here is that this was one that had been graded by PSA, cracked and sent to BGS, then purchased on the secondary market, cracked and sent back to PSA, and PSA said, ah, we already did this. Yeah. So that's the kind of big interesting picture in all of it. Interesting stuff. All right, let's get to our second topic. And this one is about the World Baseball Classic, which just concluded a couple of nights ago. And wow. <laughs> What an ending, maybe not for Team USA fans, a little sad, I know, for all of us, but at the same time, having Shohei versus Trout there at the end, incredible. And the World Baseball Classic, it had many incredible moments, also incredible moments for card prices. We saw some card prices really affected. So I'm curious, your take on this, Ben, is this event as important now as the playoffs? How does this help with the international aspect of things? How does that play in? And the next one of these is coming up in 2026. Mm -hmm. What do you think this all means for the hobby? So I absolutely love it. I watch most of it. It's a great event. And I think it's especially critical for baseball because I think a lot of us agree that Major League Baseball is terrible at marketing their stars. International events like this, like FIBA events for the NBA and stuff like that, I think matters significantly less. But I think uh, I think someone did ran the numbers and it's like Shohei Otani had 2 million Instagram subscribers. Um, before the tournament, and then afterward, he's up to like four million or something like that. Unbelievable! It's undeniable. I, I know a lot of people. I've I've gotten flack. By the way, Ronaldo has like six hundred million. Right? Has, yeah, yeah, like like literally six hundred million, something of that yeah. nature. Otani has went from two million to four million. Ronaldo has yeah. six hundred million. Yeah. I mean, what a stark difference between the sports. Absolutely. It should not be that way. No, and I, I've gotten a little bit of flack on this show specifically for saying bats or baseball isn't quite as global as a sport like basketball. And obviously Instagram followers isn't a, a science that we can 100% say this is how it is, but 600 million versus 4 million, or I think LeBron has like 40 million. And then we see one of the game's top stars double in following during the, this event. Major League Baseball can become so much bigger than what it is. And a tournament like this, I think really speaks to that. You all in on this thing? Yeah, I love it. I love national play, anything national play. Mm -hmm. World Cup is my favorite, you know, sporting event, even though soccer is not my favorite sport. I like the Olympics. I like that national pride in competing. There's a different energy with it, especially in the crowds. Nick from our team, 
had a chance to go down and watch a Puerto Rico Dominican Republic. And he's like, it was the most, the best energy I've ever experienced at a sporting event. And this is a guy who went and watched his Houston Astros in the World Series for two games when they won it this year. So that's that's saying something really big. This was awesome for baseball. Like you said, it got way more exposure. It drew people in who might not watch the regular season normally. And it's a long season, and that's part of the challenge that baseball has. They've got to fill the seats and generate the revenue, but it's super long. And then the playoffs feels like it's you know a couple of teams that make it, and it's sort of a, a coin flip who's going to win. The big thing we need, and I think this is what you guys were getting to, is the MLB needs its superstars. They need it to be like the NBA, where you have a superstar on nearly every team that you can celebrate, that fans can get behind, and that's really important. I think they started to do that with Otani, but it can't just be Otani and Trout. We need the guys who struggled last year, some of these young guys, to hopefully play that well this season for baseball really to continue to roll and latch on and engage the younger people. Absolutely. All great points indeed. And guys, if you've got a question you want us to answer on next week's show, just leave that question in the YouTube comments below. We will debate it next week. I appreciate you guys watching. Go get that free sports card investor app in the App Store on your phone. If you enjoyed the episode, like and subscribe. We'll see you next time. Take care.